Thank you, Pastor Elliot. Happy birthday, Andrea. Well, as many of you know, my wife is a uh, dispatcher for the Orange County Sheriff's Department. She takes the 911 calls, and she takes some crazy calls over the years. She got one recently where a lady called 911, and Heather answered the phone and said, 911, what's your emergency? And she said, yeah, I'm just calling because I noticed they put a, a sign out on Oso, out by Coto de Casa, that says deer crossing. You guys need to move that sign. That's a dangerous spot for the deer to cross, and I've seen some of them get hit there, so you need to move, you need to move the sign. The deer are getting killed. <clears throat> True story. It gets worse. Heather had to explain gently and carefully that, ma'am, there's a misunderstanding here. The sign isn't for the deer. The sign is for the drivers so they don't hit the deer. Oh. Or there's one back in 09. She didn't take the call, but she was working when it came in. You may have heard of this one, and her partner took it. What happened was a lady was in a Laguna Nigel at the Burger King, and apparently her burger wasn't getting made the way she wanted it, so she thought the Orange County Sheriff's Department should intervene. Instead of me telling you the rest of it, we're going to listen to the audio of it right now. So you got that, Jeremiah. <clears throat> okay, what exactly is it you want us to do for you? I send the officer down here. I want, I want them to make me Bur right. Ma'am, we're not going to go down there and enforce your Western bacon cheeseburger. What am I supposed to do? This is, this is between you and the manager. This, we're not going to go enforce how to make a hamburger. That's, well, not, that's not a criminal issue. There's, there's, there's nothing criminal so I just there. Stand here. So I just sit here and you, you need to calmly and rationally speak to the manager and figure out what to do between you. She did come up and I said, can I please have my Western burger? She, she said, I'm not dealing with it. She walked away. Cause, because they're mopping the floor and it's all full of suds and they don't want to run. They don't want to go through there. And, 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 and ma'am, then I suggest you get your money back and go somewhere else. This, 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 is, this is not a criminal issue. We can't go out there and, and make them make you a cheeseburger the way you want it. Well, that is, that, you're supposed to be here to protect me. Well, what are we protecting you from, a wrong cheeseburger? Have you caught that part at the end there? She says, what are we protecting you from, a wrong cheeseburger? <laughs> Obviously, there was a major misunderstanding about what the Orange County Sheriff's Department is here for. We don't enforce Burger King, even though their motto's, you can have it your way. Apparently, they don't enforce that, and that's not the Sheriff's Department job. There's a misunderstanding in both of these deer crossings and uh, cheeseburgers and how they're made. But I think the, the subject that's probably most misunderstood in our culture and unfortunately in our church is when it comes to the area of submission. It's a lot of misunderstanding that goes with that. So tonight we're hoping to clarify some of that and learn what submission is and what it isn't. We're looking at one verse tonight. We're going to look at some others, but our text is one verse. It's Colossians 3.18. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there, and we'll try to clarify what biblical submission is and what it isn't. Colossians 3.18. Those are real calls, by the way. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. You would be amazed. <clears throat> All right. It says this, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. There you go, 11 words. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And with that, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this night. Thank you for this series that we're going, going through, God, and the family is so important to you. It's actually a representation of, of Christ and his church, a husband and a wife. And so, God, we pray that we would uh, fulfill our God-given roles and there'd be order and structure in the home the way that you designed it. Help us to do it your way, God, not our own. Help us to submit not only to each other, God, but most importantly, by doing that to you, ultimately. And we pray this all, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. Well, we'll start right out of the gate. Number one, our outline, we're talking about misunderstandings. Let's talk about understanding. Understand what biblical submission is. Understand what biblical submission is. If you go ahead and write that down. And since you're writing under what's supposed to be a pointy finger, but it looks like an arrow. I was bummed about that. Ask for pointy fingers, but that's okay. Um, under the arrow, put number one, it's ordained by God. It's what biblical, understand what biblical submission is. Number one, it's ordained by God. Because, you know, the reality, a lot of people bristle when they hear the word submit or submission, maybe because of the way they were raised or because of the way it's thought of in our culture. And if you don't believe me, just look at the firestorm that was kicked up just last week when that great theologian, uh, DJ Tanner, from Full House, Candace Cameron, said the secret of her successful marriage is that she biblically submits to her husband. The media went off. They went ballistic on her. We don't have time to go over that tonight. Just Google it. Just Google Candace Cameron submission. It was all over the news just last week. Our culture doesn't understand it. If they do understand it, they don't accept it. They reject it. But we're believers, so we're not to do that. So we have a proof text to show what biblical submission is. It's right up here on the screens. 1 Corinthians 11.3 says this. But I want you to understand, not misunderstand, but understand that the head of every man is Christ. Here it is. The head of a wife is her husband. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. I'm going to highlight portion of it here. The head of a wife is her husband. Okay? And if you reject that, we literally might as well just shut this down right now and all go get a Starbucks or wherever you like to go because that's it right there. The head of a wife is her husband. But then look at the next part. The head of Christ is God. So ladies, let me ask you this. Is Christ less important than God? Audience participation? No, he's not. Is Christ inferior to God the Father? Are their roles different? Yes. So gals, in the same way, are you less important in your husband, than your husband? No. Are you inferior to your husband? Are your roles different than your husband's? Absolutely. And so to help you define your role, let's go all the way back to the beginning. Let's go back to Genesis and see what God intended when he created woman. I'll go all the way back to Genesis 2.18. All the way back to the beginning. Establish it right out of gate. Genesis 2.18 says this, And the Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Ladies, as you look at your God-given role, do you see, us, do you see yourself as a helper to your husband? You think, well, I don't like the word helper. It just sounds so subservient. Well, let me help clarify what the word helper is. In the original Hebrew, the word is azer. Go ahead and write that down. It's E-Z-E-R, but it's pronounced azer. And it's more often than not, when it's spoken of, it's spoken of, it's used of God, that he's our help. Let me give you a couple examples. I have them up here on the screen, so you don't have to turn there. Psalm 33:20 says this, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help. He's our azer and our shield. Got another one, Psalm 121, 2. My help, my azer, comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So ladies, God doesn't look down on being a helper, and you shouldn't either. So pointy finger number two, let's write it this way. You're created to be a helper. You were created to be an azer. That's why God designed you. You need to embrace that. But probably wondering, okay, well, what does that look like practically? Instead of me talking about it, this is audience participation time again. I'm going to throw it out to you. Just shout it out. 
Ladies, what are some practical ways that you can be a helper to your husband? Raise your hand. Come on. Somebody be bold. No one up here? Lacey, what's a practical way you can help your husband, Brian, on his birthday or in every day? Yeah, he's a, he's a business professional, a law professional, right? Take, she said take care of his clothing so it's clean. Practical ways she can help. Get it, pick up his dry cleaning for him, things like that. Very good, absolutely. What else? <clears throat> Go ahead. Pack his clothes when he goes on a business trip. I know a lot about that. When I go on a trip, I never even know what's in my bag. I really don't. Heather packs it for me every time. I don't even know what's in there. Always say pack a bathing suit, though, just in case. Okay, another one. Right over here. Morgan. I'm sorry? Praying for him. That's huge, right? Huge. Think about it. What did we read earlier that the, the head of a wife is her husband? That's a huge responsibility. That's a huge role. Do you think your husband would covet your prayers in that area? Do you think that would be a great help to him if you would pray for him? Absolutely. Let's do one more. One more right here. Boom. That's a really good one. Good job, Kristen. Now, she, Kristen says, ask him what he needs help with. A lot of times we assume, and that's okay, you're trying to help, that's good. But if you want to get specific, honey, what do you need help with? Ask him, and maybe he'll share some of those things with you, and you can help him in practical ways. So all those things are important. But you're a helper, and you're designed to do that, and that's a good thing. Embrace that, and Azer, just like God is, you're imitating God when you help your husband. It's a good thing. You know, another thing that submission does, and this is pointy finger number three, it establishes order in the home. It establishes order in the home. Got our passage here in Colossians 3.18 that says wives should submit to their husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Ephesians 5.22 said wives should submit to their husbands as unto the Lord. And 1 Peter 3.1 says wives need to be sub- subject or submissive to their husbands. And it goes on from there. So three different passages in the New Testament alone that says wives need to submit to their husbands. And if you look it up, the Greek word for submit is hupotasso. Hupotasso. It's actually spelled, though, H-Y-P-O-T-A-S-S-O. It's pronounced hupotasso. It's a Greek military term, and it means this, to arrange troop divisions in a military fashion under the command of a leader, a leader. To arrange troop divisions in a military fashion under the command of a leader. So I thought about our own U.S. military here. I took one branch, the United States Army, went, about, went through their rank structure. It goes like this, private, corporal, sergeant, sergeant major, warrant officer, lieutenant, captain, and then boom, 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 all the way up until we get to the general of the United States Army. I don't, obviously, I'm not in the military. I have great respect for our military, but I do work in what's called a paramilitary organization in the fire department. In the same way, we have a rank structure. Ours looks like this. Firefighter, firefighter paramedic, engineer, captain, battalion chief, assistant chief, fire chief. Just two nights ago, we've been having a lot of fires lately. Just two nights ago, we had this fire here. I think we have it on the screen. I work up West Covina Fire Department. We had that one, $750,000 in damages to West Covina businesses. We got to call it 3.52 in the morning, flames shooting through the roof of multiple units in a strip mall. And uh, we had, it was so big, we had to sound a second alarm. We had eight engines there, two truck companies. If you don't know the difference, a truck company is the big hook and ladder, the one you drive in the back, turn the opposite direction. Come on a ride along, I'll show you. Eight engines, two truck companies, four paramedic ambulances, two battalion chiefs, 40 firefighters on scene, and only one incident commander. That's what we call him, the incident commander, or the IC. He's the one who makes the major 
decisions on these incidences, and ultimately, he's responsible for the firefighting tactics and the strategy. We answer to him. All of the other 39 firefighters, while no less important, are subordinate to him at the fire scene. And the reason this particular fire went so well for us, even though you're going, it doesn't look like it went well, $750,000 in losses, it could have been in the millions. Or that thing, so the business is standing, could have been a parking lot. The thing could have burned to the ground. But the reason it went so well is because everyone in the organization knew their role and they embraced their role. So it went like clockwork. Fire went out with minimal loss and no injuries, thankfully. But can you imagine the chaos if we would have pulled up and any of those 39 men would either try to usurp the authority of the IC and say, hey, I want to be the IC. I want to be the incident commander. Or just disobey the orders of the IC. It would have been chaos. And I tell you, a couple things would have happened. Like I mentioned before, the damage to the strip mall would have been way worse or worse yet. Lives would have been lost. People would have been injured and or killed. Structure and order, they're important. They're important in the military. They're important in the fire department. But most importantly, they're important in the home. They're important in your marriage. So my question is, what does the order in your home look like? You try to usurp the authority of the IC, the incident commander in your home, ladies. Your husband, and you say, well, that sounds so cold. And I get it, he's my boss. But this is your husband, he loves you. He's leading you out of his love for you and you need to try to usurp, instead of trying to usurp his authority, you need to embrace your role as his helper. God's design for your home is order, it's not chaos. <clears throat> you want that kind of order in the home, we mentioned it. Realize that this submission, it is ordained by God. Being a helper to your husband is a good thing. And if you, want it, if you want order, you need to embrace your role. You need to embrace your role. Just because you're not the incident commander makes you no less part of the, quote, organization. And in God's economy, it's just a different role. It's just a different role. Since we're talking to the ladies tonight, I had to share a secret with you. I've been actually thinking about starting a new show on the TLC channel. That's a girl's channel, right? TLC? I was going to call it Scott's Beauty Tips, but when I presented it to the producers, they asked about my qualifications, and I told them that I've never applied makeup to myself or to anyone else. I told them I've never worked in a salon before, and I told them I've never given anyone a haircut except one time I buzzed the guy's head at work because he asked me to. So they shot me down for my show. So because of my lack of qualifications, we're going to have to get our beauty tips from the Bible, from the Word of God. So if you could, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to get them from there, Okay. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. But before we do, I may not know a lot about beauty tips, but I do know a lot about cosmetics thanks to a website called InStyle.com. I know this, that the average woman spends $15,000 in her lifetime on makeup. Of that, 3770 is spent on mascara, $2,750 is spent on eyeshadow. $1,780 is spent on lipstick. And the passage we're going to read, if you've read it before, 1 Peter 3, isn't about the so-called evils of trying to look pretty and applying makeup and things like that. Like I've said many times in the past, if the barn needs painting, paint it. That's a good thing, right? But listen up. Listen to what, what Peter is trying to say as we read together. 1 Peter 3, 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, hupotasso, to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, 
they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see that you're respectful and pure conduct. Here it is. Don't let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, that, or the clothing you wear, or applying $15,000 worth of makeup. Not that that's bad. Just not, let not that be the focus. Here's what the focus should be. Verse 4, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And then pay close attention to this verse. This is key. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. I mentioned, I'm not qualified to give beauty tips, but I think this gal is. She's, everybody know her? Who's that? Cindy Crawford, right? She can probably give some beauty tips. Um, I was at dinner one time, and Cindy Crawford and her husband came and had dinner. Randy Gerber had dinner right next to us. So I just wanted to just, I had nothing to do with this message. I just wanted to share that. <laughs> but she's, she's qualified to give beauty tips because in some people's minds, she's the prototype for beauty. Long-time model for going on three decades now. God sees it a little bit differently. God's prototype for beauty, according to our passage, is Sarah. So I thought it'd be important to let's look at the life of Sarah and see what true beauty looks like. So if you could, turn to Genesis 12. We've already been to Genesis once tonight. Let's go back there, Genesis chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. See what kind of beauty tips we can get from Sarah. It says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, later to be called Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram, or Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot, his nephew, went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, or Sarah, his wife. We'll stop right there. Abram, or Abraham, 75 years old. Sarah, we know from other passages, is 10 years younger than him. So she's 65 years old at this point. So on the surface, this is a big deal. Being, especially in an agrarian society, called to move from one country to another. You know, she, uh, she could have said, honey, I'm old. I'm already getting my senior discount at Denny's. No offense to the mentors. But um, all my family is here in Haran. She's called to move from Haran to Canaan. She could have said, you know, my, all my family's here in Haran. I don't want to leave my family. Other than the, a, a country called Ur, this is the only place I've ever lived. So this is all I know. But thankfully, nothing's recorded about Sarah Murmuring or complaining, reference Philippians 2.14, right? Do all things without murmuring or complaining. And there's nothing recorded about her doing that. Her attitude was this. If God's calling my husband to move, then he's calling me too. We're one. I can't help but think about that practically if it was literally what was going on. If your husband was offered a job in, I don't know, pick a place, Fargo, North Dakota. I don't know how many people want to live in Fargo. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because probably won't get any. But... If your husband was called to Fargo, North Dakota, and you gave your input, and ladies, that's fine to give your input, right? But your husband says, you know, I know I've prayed about it, and we're to move to Fargo, North Dakota. That's where we're going. I got a job offer there, and we're going to take it. We're moving to Fargo from beautiful, sunny Southern California. What would your attitude be? And I'm not talking he's, he's a dictator putting his 
you know, iron-fisted that. I'm talking he's prayed about it and he honestly feels that this is where God is calling his family to go. Would you have the same attitude that Sarah had? I mean, it was just as difficult for her. Remember, she's 65 years old when this happened. But Sarah beautified herself in God's sight by submitting to her husband. But it's one thing to be called away to land of Canaan that you've never known or to Fargo, North Dakota. That's another thing. But what happens in Genesis 22, and you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you. That's really going to test Sarah's submission. If you know the story, Abraham and Sarah waited a long time to have a son. Sarah's 90, Abraham's 100, and they have a, a boy. And years later, this happens. I'll read it to you. Genesis 22:2. God said to Abraham, he said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. The text implies that God told Abraham sometime in the evening because he said he got up early the next morning to leave. So do you think that made for some awkward conversation that night at the dinner table? When Sarah said to her husband, hey, Abraham, how was your day today? He goes, oh, it was pretty good. I went to work, uh, took the chariot to the, to the wash, got it washed, and uh, God told me to sacrifice our son. It's just a typical day, pretty good. And you got to think about it. Although, you know, it's not recorded in Scripture, it's obviously implied that that night, I'm sure there was a lot of tears shed in, in Abraham and Sarah's home. This is their promised son that God had promised them for years. And now he's telling Abraham to go take him and sacrifice him. And again, nothing recorded of Sarah not trusting in this and uh, um, resisting God's will by resisting her husband, even if she didn't fully understand. Remember, our passage back in 1 Peter 3 that we just read said that these women, like Sarah, it says they hoped in who? It says they hoped in God. And although Sarah trusted and submitted to Abraham, ultimately her hope was in God. And women, I want to ask you, where's your hope ultimately? I hope you submit and, and trust your husband. But ultimately, I hope your hope is in God, even if he asks you to move to, to Fargo, North Dakota, or he asks you to do something that you don't fully understand. But finally, any good um, beauty secrets or beauty tips are going to have the do's and don'ts of beauty, right? And although Sarah was uh, beautiful in her submission, she wasn't perfect. And on two separate occasions, her husband asked her to lie and say that she was his sister instead of his wife because he was afraid that they would take her and kill him. And unfortunately, in both situations, she complied. You're in Genesis 12. Turn over to Genesis chapter 20. Genesis 20, beginning in verse 2, says this, And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, She's my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah as part of his harem. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you're a dead man because of the woman you've taken, for she's a man's wife. Now Abimelech hadn't, hadn't approached her yet. He hadn't consummated this relationship. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he, Abraham, not himself say to me, she's my sister? And here it is, gals. And unfortunately, she herself said, he's my brother. Her husband, shame on him, asked his wife to lie, and she complied, shame on her. And so a lot of times you hear women ask the question, I know I'm supposed to submit to my husband, but do I submit in everything, everything my husband asked me to do? And obviously, here's your answer. The answer is no. If your husband ever asks you to do something that's expressly forbidden in the revealed will of God for your life, which is revealed in his word, the Bible, then at that point, you're going to say, honey, I've got to obey God rather than man, in this case, you. I've got to obey him instead of obeying you. 
Let me give you a couple of examples how this plays out. Day-to-day stuff. Gals, you get invited to an event, right? Your husband doesn't want to go. He says, honey, we've been invited. And he goes, ah, just tell him we already have plans. And you don't already have plans. Simple. We do it. Little white lie. You can justify it. Ladies, you're not to comply. That's where you say, honey, no, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to tell them we already have plans because we don't. We need either to go to the party or do something else, but we're not, we're not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. Or how about this one? It's tax season right now, right? Maybe money's tight. Maybe that's your situation. Your husband, being a good husband that he is, he sat down and he crunched the numbers and he went, oh, no. And he goes, whoa. He comes to you and he says, honey, listen, if we don't get creative on these taxes and fudge some of the numbers, we're going to owe Uncle Sam a lot of money. And if you comply with that, say, good idea, let's do it. That's the exact opposite of what God would have for you. That's a great time as his wife to remind him that God is your provider. He's Jehovah Jireh and he will provide. Maybe not exactly how you hope he will, but he will provide. And it's a good time to remind him and be that great helper, as we mentioned earlier, for your husband. So yeah, definitely you do not comply with everything your husband asks you to do. There you have it, Sarah's do's and don'ts, beauty tips. So ladies, if you want to be like Sarah, minus the whole Abimelech thing, you need to number two on your outline. I wrote it this way, adorn yourself with a submissive spirit. Adorn yourself with a submissive spirit. And then finally, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the second part of our verse. We only talked about the first part. Wives, submit to your husbands. I got it up here on the screen, Colossians 3.18. What about that last part? Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Fitting. It's the Greek word aneko, A-N-E-K-O. It's only used two other times in the entire Bible. And one of them it's used in the negative. Let me just show you. It's up here, Ephesians 5.4. It says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are not aneko, which are out of place, but instead let there, be, let there be thanksgiving. And gals, if you take everything we've learned tonight from God's word about submission and you cast it off or you ignore it, and if you're a Christian here tonight, I don't know why you would, it would be the equivalent of me standing up here cussing and telling dirty jokes. Would that be unfitting? Would you be shocked? In the same way, it's equally unfitting for you not to submit to your husband. But we want to be fitting. I know we want to do the will of God. We want to. We want to be submissive. We, we realize it's God's design. God's a helper. We should want to be a helper to our husbands. It creates order instead of chaos, as we mentioned. And we have a great example in people like Sarah and other biblical characters we're going to talk about tonight in our small groups. Before we do that, though, let's pray. Let's talk to God. <clears throat> God, we do come to you, and uh, we need help in this area. Um, gosh, not just wives, God. I think about husbands are called to submit to our bosses. We're called to submit to governing authorities. We're called to submit to our church leaders. God, I don't know why we buck that, uh, but sometimes we do. And uh, I pray that you help every woman here tonight, God, to submit herself to you by submitting herself to her husband. pray that we'd have some fruitful small group discussion time. We'd all vow to do this, God. As we honor you, you promised that you would honor us in return. And so we pray that we'd honor you tonight by obeying your word. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.